Good morning. Ah, good morning. Um, so I'm going to start uh, with a joke. And I know it's always bad if you have to preface it saying, this is going to be a joke. Um, but bear with me. And I would like somebody to try and answer. But who is the shortest man in the Bible? Oh, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Is that really well known? Does everybody know that joke? Well, somebody said it before. Oh, uh, it was Nehemiah. So like Nehemiah, yeah. So yeah, that's that. Uh, <laughs> we'll go straight from there, uh, and we'll dig into the passage to hopefully hear better things. Oh no, I could see the masks. You know, they 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 move like this, so it's okay. Uh, so in this passage, as we get to to Nehemiah four. Uh, we have these enemies who are opposing the work that is going on. And then from that there, uh, Nehemiah's response uh, is to call the people of Jerusalem to remember the great and awesome Lord. And then from there, the bit that we didn't read, uh, the work is going on, um, but it's at a stage where they're having a tool in one hand and a spear in the other. They're still worried about these enemies coming, uh, but they're still trying to press on uh, into what God has called them to do. Uh, so these enemies we read about uh, in the first verse, um, and then in seven we get a list of them. So there's Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites. Uh, and basically these are kind of surrounding people, surrounding nations. Uh, and for a long time, uh, they've had a pretty kind of uh, tumultuous history with the people of Jerusalem. And while Jerusalem was in ruins, um, as the wall was down, the temple was down, uh, and it lay in rubble, that meant great things for these people. If Jerusalem suffers, they prosper. It's kind of like when Rangers had to stop existing, Celtic will prosper. And they come to the, to the Jews, they come and their tactic um, is to ask questions. Uh, you'll see in, in verse two, they ask a series of questions that is designed uh, to put doubt in the minds of the Jews. It's kind of that thing, um, I used to get it where uh, you're about to leave the house and somebody in the house says, are you going out in that? And you really know it's not just an honest question. They're really saying, don't wear that. Uh, but they come with a, a few questions. What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? And some translations even go to just call them dead stones. And you can see these questions have a real impact, because as we get to verse 10, it's the people of Judah saying, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we're not going to be able to rebuild the wall. So they've heard what God has called them to. But they're presented with these series of questions that just cast doubt in their minds. Uh, and it's a familiar tactic we see right through the Bible. Um, so back at the start, we have Adam and Eve in the garden. And it's Satan appearing to them uh, as the serpent who says, did God really say not to eat of this tree? It's these questions that cause doubt. And so it's really easy then for the people of Jerusalem to despair. We saw it in verse 10. They're nervous and they're worried. Because the people who are left in Jerusalem at the moment, um, they're kind of the weakest of the people. Um, so back when the people were carried off into exile, the best ones went first in the first wave. So the smartest people and the strongest people would go. There'd be a few more waves and the next smartest and the next strongest would go. 
And the only ones who'd been in Jerusalem that whole time were kind of the losers, the ones who'd get picked last on the playground. And some of the good people have come back, but it's still, it's a pretty rowdy bunch that aren't the best builders, and they're certainly not going to be the best fighters. And so it's really easy for them to just kind of lose hope. And I wonder if we want to look out at the church um, in Scotland and many parts of the world, if we're hearing similar questions coming. Because Satan would love to ask us questions that cause us to despair. So as we look out in Scotland and we hear stories of churches closing, uh, we see um, the church having less of a, and less of an impact, it seems, on the culture. Uh, we see our, our friends or our family members uh, falling away from the faith. Uh, we hear stats about 97 or 98% of the population not knowing Jesus. We know more and more people in our communities who have just simply never heard about Jesus. And it's really easy to think about all of that and to go straight to despair. To look at the situation of the church in Scotland and withdraw and say, we've just got to consolidate, we've just got to hold on to what we've got because this is really bad. And Satan would absolutely love us to despair as we look at the state of the church. And there's... There's a, there's a hint of, yeah, we, we should be mourning when we hear stories of people falling away from Jesus. And we should be mourning when we hear of churches closing. But mourning does not need to turn to despair. And the solution for that is the same in Nehemiah as it is for us. Uh, and Nehemiah says it to the people in verse 14. He says, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Remember the great and awesome Lord. So his solution is in no way for them to look to their, themselves, to not look to, the, to this weak, rowdy bunch and say, you guys are actually stronger than you think you are. You can build this wall and you can fight those enemies. Because the questions they were hearing, they were saying, are you going to fix this yourselves? In verse 2, they ask, will they restore it for themselves? In verse 10, they say, by ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall. But Nehemiah doesn't answer those two questions and say, yes, you will if you try really hard. No, what he says is, remember the great and awesome Lord. And this remembering they're meant to do, uh, it's not just one of those look back at the glory days rememberings, but it's a remembering that calls them to be actively recalling what is going on to look back on who the Lord is, and to have that influence how they go about their daily lives. And the people at this point, their, their main impression of God uh, comes from um, the guy Ezra. Uh, so Ezra was described as a man skilled in the law of Moses. And so he's been teaching the people, and so their impression of God is the impression of God we get from Moses' writings, the first five books. Uh, and chiefly, and we see this as later on in Nehemiah, they celebrate a festival from the Exodus, is that they're going to remember the God who rescued them from slavery. They're going to think of the great and awesome Lord who sent the ten plagues on Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world, and he brought his people out of slavery, and he split the Red Sea. 
that's going to be their impression of God. And if they have that impression constantly in their minds, as they hear stories of their neighbors wanting to attack them, they'll be comforted and they'll know that they are protected. They can remember and they can actively recall that they have a great and an awesome Lord who is with them. And as we, as we go about our lives, as, as we think about being church, I want us to remember two stories uh, of God's great reviving power. Of how, uh, as it says in verse 2, uh, it talks of these dead rubbish stones, of how God raises dead stones. Uh, and the first story is this. That God has raised Jesus from the grave. That is the thing we want to shout about most, that God has raised Jesus. If we ever want to think of God's reviving power, that's where we want to look. That still today, Jesus is alive. That Jesus is, is dead, he, he, he was in the tomb, uh, and folks who would doubt the crucifixion would say uh, he maybe wasn't really dead, he was just hurt, and they, they took him down so soon. Uh, but these folks who killed him, the Romans, uh, they were the masters of death. They killed people all the time. They knew how to do it pretty much better than anyone. So Jesus was fully dead, but he is raised. And it's such a, such a given thing for God to do that, that when people go there to put burial spices on his body, what they hear is, why are you looking for Jesus among the dead? He is risen. Of course Jesus is risen. God raised Jesus from the dead. And the second is similar. That if you are a Christian, God has raised you from the dead. So Ephesians talks about us, uh, we were once walking, we were once dead in the transgressions and sins in which we once walked. Dead, spiritually dead, fully spiritually dead. Uh, and just like the people of Jerusalem, having absolutely no hope of saving ourselves. No hope of reviving or resurrecting ourselves. No hope of freeing ourselves from our sin. But there is God's great reviving power. That because of his love for you, he would choose to raise you from the dead. Nothing we could do and nothing you could do but God. In God's reviving power. And so as we look out uh, on the church in Scotland, in Aberdeen, in Aberdeenshire, as we look out on our communities around us, and we see so many of our friends and family not having the hope of Jesus. And there's some that, that will look at and will think maybe they could become a Christian because they're that kind of nicey type that you know, Christians tend to be. But there'll be other people that we look out uh, at work or school or whatever and we think, there's no way that they'd want to come to Jesus. There's not a chance that they'd be interested in reading the Bible uh, and hearing about God. But for all people, for us, uh, for the people that we think are furthest away from Jesus, the hope is exactly the same. And that hope is fully in God's reviving power. There is no way that any person on earth would be a Christian 
if God did not raise them from the dead. And there's no one we can look at out there and say they are more dead than somebody else. The hope is exactly the same. It is Jesus, and it is well within his power to save a multitude, and he says he is going to. And so we're going to look out, uh, and we're going to see churches closing. And we're going to see communities um, that live and breathe, uh, but have not heard about the good news of Jesus. And we want to be churches that plant churches. But we might look out there and say, this is all rubble. This is burnt rubbish stones like Nehemiah talks about. How on earth are we going to be churches that plant churches and see any kind of lasting impact? And Satan would love to ask these questions. Do you really think you're going to make an impact in another community? Do you really think that that planting a church somewhere is going to take it down from 98 to 97%? And even if you did, is that really such a significant impact? To think that still hundreds of thousands of people in Aberdeen don't know Jesus. And if we do want to plant churches, where are you going to get the money from? There's a pandemic going on. You can't do anything meaningful. And the idea of being churches that plant churches, you could look at it, uh, and like they did in verse 10, you could wonder, how on earth are we going to do this? But we have the same hope. We have the hope of Jesus. That if there are dead, rubbish stones in Scotland, that Jesus will raise them that he will continue to build his church in Scotland, in Aberdeen, in Aberdeenshire. That a pandemic will not stop him. That us feeling pretty ill-equipped won't stop him. But that we have the hope that Jesus will plant churches and that there will be communities around here that hear the good news of Jesus. And they'll be able to to look back one day uh, and see our brothers and sisters Worshipping God in glory with them, saying, yes, we can see that the hope of Jesus has saved you, that they have come to life, that churches that have been planted from Hillview and Kintour will see dead people raised to life and worshipping Jesus. And as we think of our friends that we want to come to know Jesus that are dead, as we think of communities um, that we know need a church. At the moment, I, I imagine for some of us, uh, that's going to feel a bit too, too much of a push at the moment. Because at the moment, you might not really feel like that much of a living stone. Uh, and these stones in the heaps of rubbish, the burnt stones, maybe that's what you think you are at the moment. And spiritually, feeling pretty spiritually dead. Missing church for, for a while. But the same hope of raising Jesus from the dead. The same hope that brought you from death to life. The same hope that we have for our friends uh, to come to know Jesus. The same hope that we have for churches to be planted is the same hope that will take you from feeling spiritually in a pit to spiritually high to loving and praising Jesus. That he is the person uh, who will restore your spirit. 
and the rest of the, the passage, it's, it's the, the stories of, um, of them having a tool in one hand and a spear in the other. They're continuing to do the work God has called them to do, and they're trusting in the Lord's work. They're trusting that He is the one who will protect them, that it is His reviving power. But then remembering the Lord does not mean that they put down the spear, and they keep going. Uh, And it says this in verse 23 at the end. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes, each kept his weapon at his right hand. They keep going and going and going. And they're trusting the Lord. And, and as churches, we, want, we are trusting the Lord. As we want to plant churches, we are trusting the Lord. But that does not mean at all that we just kind of sit back and, and just wait. That we just gather as kind of some holy huddle um, and just hope. But we press on. We seek to plant churches because we know God is in control of this. And because we know that it is in our hope of Him. If planting churches, if seeing our friends come to know Jesus was something that we were doing in our own power, then we'd far quickly come back and just give up because nothing would happen. But because we know God is in control, because we know he is going to save many, we can go into all the world and tell them about the good news of Jesus. And Jesus says, that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against us, against it. We do not need to stop, but we get to keep going. We get to, to see the world transformed. We get to see people come to know Jesus because he is in control and it is in his power that people are raised from death to life. Uh, and there's gonna come a day, uh, and spoilers if you haven't read Nehemiah before, but the wall gets built. But it's not going to be an everlasting wall. But we are looking. <laughs> is that my voice? It is. <laughs> oh, that's okay. I'll just speak maybe louder. Um, but we are looking forward to a day where there is an everlasting, complete, and final wall. Uh, And we read about it in Revelation 21. This is uh, verses 12 to 14. Uh, Speaking of the new city, the new Jerusalem, uh, when we worship Jesus together. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels. And on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. As we seek to to do what God has called us to do, um, to see our friends and come to know Jesus, to see communities around us uh, have living, thriving churches, that's always going to be the vision we have here on earth. We won't be able to look back in 30 years and say, we've done it now. Hopefully, there'll be so much to celebrate. But we are also awaiting a day that will come when Jesus comes back, when we get to look back at all God has done here, when we get to worship him uh, with people who right now do not know Jesus. 
We get to stand with our brothers and sisters that are going to come to know Jesus and love God, and they're going to tell their friends and their communities about him. And we are so looking forward to the day when burnt rubbish stones like us stand with God in glory, that he finishes his work, that we see his reviving power and worship him for it. Let me pray. Lord, we are so thankful that, um, that what you have called us to do um, is dependent on your power. Um, that as we look out across um, our communities, that, that you are the one uh, who can mend broken people. That you are the one who can raise people to life. And Lord, would this not stir us to to just sit around and wait? But Lord, would it fill us with an urgency um, and an excitement to go and spread the wonderful news of what you have done? Lord, thank you that our hope is in Jesus and not ourselves. Lord, help us to, to share this hope and to do what you have called us to do. Thank you for your incredible grace, your love for us, for wanting to speak to us, for calling us, for raising us. Uh, Lord, you are truly so much more wonderful than we could ever uh, think or say or imagine. Lord, help us to, to love you and worship you. Amen.